to paradise arcade. The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to the Paradise Arcade with Kyle and Eric, promoting synthwave music and culture. It's like, it's like, hey man, you want any fine rum? He's like, get that shit out my face. Where's that cobra? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Give me the panther. Oh my god. Yeah, that sex panther. You know it's illegal in six states. Get that. Uh... Or that, uh, uh, Mickey's. Let's get some hand grenades. Oh Mickey's. My God. I I actually saw like uh, in Irvine a, a an advertisement like on a billboard outside of a public park for Mickey's. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like I feel like this billboard is like selling to the homeless people. <laughs> like this uh... is it. Like I don't think it would actually make sense in any other context. <laughs> it yeah. might be. The last time I was in Detroit, I actually saw a billboard. For Colt 45 that had Billy D. Williams on it. Like, he was back into advertising for it. Like, does it every time, still, oh, to wow. this day. The, the Colt 45 CEO is like, get Billy on the phone. <laughs> he is the Colt 45 CEO. Who are we kidding right now? Like, get Billy on the scene. I need Billy on the phone now. And they're like, okay, Jack. And then they get him on, and then all of a sudden he's just like, Billy, I gotta, I got, I need something from you, man. I need that advertisement, man. You owe me. Remember that time we got you into Star Wars? Yeah. I got you out of that bind that one time. And we're not going to go into the backstory, but do you remember that? I do. It's like, why wasn't Cold 45 in Star Wars? (laughs) (laughs) The official drink of Star Wars. It's like, like, in the new controversies surrounding Star Wars, is Cold 45 really belong in the Star Wars universe? This up next at night. I think so. <laughs> You'll get shot first for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are the stormtroopers really that bad at aiming, or are they just drunk? More at nine. Uh, does it every time. Yep. Does yep. the trick. It'll get you drunk. I, I heard that Bill Burr was in The Mandalorian, like as one of the stormtrooper like uh, snipers. You could say that he about any what? Any. He of was them. in it though. Really? Yeah. yeah they like, put him in there. He, like he was. He was like making fun of the the accuracy of their shooting. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, they're not known for, uh, you know. Because he is supposed to be, yeah, that. some sharpshooter. Yeah. Oh, that's. Funny. I mean, that's an amazing sort of thing. Like, who would ever think to put Bill Burr with his Boston accent in? in- <laughs> right. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh my god. Yeah, they're like, like, uh, it's like imagine if it was like, you know, like Luke, you know, and then all of a sudden the guy's just like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm gonna need some chowder. <laughs> And they're like, "What? Why does he talk like that?" And he's just like, "Well, I'm from a distant planet, um, uh, Bostonia. Uh, yeah, 14 million eons away, uh, where they have lots of Colt 45, <laughs> and uh, clams. Like got some clams and beans <laughs> and clams. beans. You know, I could go for a clam right now. I'm not gonna lie. I gotta be honest with you. Where the clams? The clan. <laughs> it's perfect. Now that we're well into like rolling into the episode here, let's let's just keep going here. Yeah, this is a cold yeah, a go. cold open. All right, it's warm. Yeah, this is a warm right. open, not a cold yeah. open. Okay. I had, warm open. Yeah, I mean we're warm with Colt forty five. Let's be honest. <laughs> we're one with Colt forty five. 
We are one. We are. I used to still. drink a shitload of that stuff, man. Like when I was twenty. That's what twenty-year-olds. That do. that but was that my I'm, choice. Now that I'm twenty-one and I'm old and wise, I don't anymore. <laughs> Drinking copper. Now I just drink uh, Jaeger, <laughs> the three Jaeger. pints of beer. Awesome. Warm sandwiches. it up first. Oh, <laughs> just leave it out in the car. Yeah, it's like that syrup. Go. I love that syrupy stuff. Mm. So actually, one time I was driving down the freeway in Orange County when I was in college, and uh, a Hummer limousine passed me on the freeway. And I kid you not, there was a frat guy. I could tell he was a frat guy because of what I'm about to say. Um, he was hanging, kind of lifeless, out the side of the window, and there was a like a six foot long streak of vomit coming down the side of the car <laughs> like, for the whole world to see. And I was like, that guy rages, and I wish I was with him right now. But then I drove off into the sunset, not covered in vomit, and uh, that just it, it worked out well. In the see, end. it's a here we are that you and here were. We are. Uh, like in the car behind, like during puke. <laughs> yeah, with their windshield wipers on. <laughs> like the extra like, length oh, of the limo oh. could have absorbed all the puke, so it couldn't. Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't. They're like get on the to phone with nine one one, they're like, "Oh God, I can't see. I'm lost. <laughs> I don't know what to do." It's like nobody thought oh. to pull him back in after he was lifelessly hanging out. Well, because they're all lifeless. He's in probably the car. alone. I mean, like he probably like you know dished out the coin for that that ride, and like he was alone. You know, and this was a cry for help. Respect, <laughs> Kyle. Why can't you do anything that over the top for a cry for help? Uh, I've got. <laughs> There's time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, life is short, you know, we're, we're going to get there. Life I goals. could work on goals. that. It, it would be a lot shorter if I did that, too, I'm sure, too. YOLO. <laughs> so here's a funny thing. So last night I was in an Uber, and we, for some reason, started talking about what will it be like in the future when the millennials uh, get to start naming the streets. Like, are we going to have a YOLO Boulevard or like a, you know, Diplo Street? What, what's it going to be like? That is an know? amazing question that, uh, yeah, I guess it's never even occurred to me. It's like, you're going to hang a left on Yeet. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, Yeet Street. <laughs> Yeet Street. Uh. Yeah. Are, like, but, like, are things, like, even, like, street going to change? Like, is everything going to be short? Screet. 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 Like the Cardi B is like, you're going to turn left on Diplos. <laughs> My wife is in the other room, probably cringing so hard right now. Like, uh. kill yourself, man. <laughs> you are Believe not funny. money first. There's uh, plenty of time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Got a long road ahead of you. Yeah, you've plenty got your whole life ahead of you. There's more opportunities for cringe coming up. <laughs> yeah. We are the Cringe Fest 2020. Well, you know, it's funny is that the older I get and the longer I've been in a relationship, the less my spouse finds me funny. <laughs> the more mad she it's... gets when other girls laugh at my jokes. That's, <laughs> listen, like don't some, do... some young girl goes, ha, 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 he's so funny. And she goes, I've heard that joke 8,000 times. <laughs> like, like, no, it is like, not funny. It was funny it's the like, first Like a times. wizard. It's been 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> Like brushing her beard off, like, <laughs> like pie man in freaking Kill Bill Two, just whipping it to the side, stroking, <laughs> stroking like, that long thing, whip it to the side. Nay nay, right? Yeah, you're gonna park that on a whip and nay nay. Av, 
All right. I, this is perfect. I will actually do at least a bit of intro to the show. So you have been listening to the Paradise Arcade. <laughs> Our guest, if you haven't. A very uh, special guest today. A very special guest today, second guest of the day, is User. What is up? What up, dog? What up? <laughs> How's what it up? going? What I, we're all, what up? It's cold 45. That's a sub. <laughs> yeah. Yo, yo yeah. what up with it? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank, yes, was, thank you for being uh, on the show. Super exciting. Um, yeah. You're a busy guy I mean, today. Dude, I mean, yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I, I went to Bed Bath & Beyond at a nice little Sunday. That's um, a I'm busy day. That's, did you go no, to I ikea went to, i went out to breakfast you know had some some eggs <laughs> and then uh after that did a little interview a pre-record with uh karen also a night ride um in prep for the tour the tour is coming up um that's gonna be super badass um been preparing for that for months now so this is awesome and exciting and a little scary but it's gonna be great so how many uh, dates do you have lined up so far for the tour? Oh, this is this is a modest tour. This is all I could fit with my work schedule, but I'm going from Seattle to Portland to Hollywood to San Francisco to New York City and then to Toronto. Um, and then after that, I'm done coming home. But that seems like a pretty short and sweet tour, actually. It seems like yeah, a lot short of and distance. Sweet. It's going to be a lot, of, a lot of travel, a lot of money, but it's going to be like really... Um, really fun and, and uh, rewarding i'm going to be playing with some amazing bands from the scene like in uh for instance in um, seattle i'm playing with techno mage and um, static shore which are like you know part of the synth scene and then in san fran um uh, lord nikon and, and uh star runner um let's see here uh, God, um, Serena, uh, she actually helped book my New York show. So I'm playing with Turbo Goth and Faith in the Glitch. There you go. Um, Toronto, I'm playing with Honeybeard and Melodica and Exile, which are all great people. Like, I'm super excited about that. And then also, um, Andy and uh, from Beyond Synth and Jules um, is, uh, you know, Neon Fox is going to be there. So this is going to be like super duper fun. We're going to have the greatest time in the world. It's kind of like a destination vacation fun time kind of thing you gotta go see some friends play some tunes yeah i mean you're not wrong i mean like every time i go on a work trip i usually will like hit up some people and i say who do i know out in this city and then like you know get a few people who want to like go rage at like the local arcade and next thing you know like two days later i'm kind of recovering like i was in london um a month ago and i was able to hook up with uh the guys from forever synth um, oh yeah so those guys I actually yeah. went in, in live in studio in london and, and like hung out and did an hour like on the air with them and then afterwards uh we went out and explored the city and had drinks and stuff and i actually uh just had the time of my life it was amazing and didn't get stabbed i'm assuming i didn't get stabbed is that a thing that happens I, in london i feel like that is a thing that happens <laughs> it might the be mean streets of london yes i feel like i feel you... like Everybody in London who acts like a hard ass is, is like Ali G to me. Like, oh, you get shot. Like, oh, I'm gonna prick ya. Oh. <laughs> like, all right. <laughs> wow, bringing Ali G back. <laughs> Did he ever go anywhere? Listen, not from my heart. He didn't leave. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did this say- this, uh, this edition of uh, Paradise Arcade is not exactly street legal. <laughs> if you know what I mean? 
yeah, I think most people that listen to it understand that. <laughs> I know we're you know we're pushing <laughs> boundaries, folks. Oh yeah. I don't know. I don't know if the audience's virgin ears can handle this. It's gonna get wild. Enter at your own risk. Yeah. So anyway, there I was getting pricked in London. And, um, <laughs> pricked by a prick. And I was like, hey, man, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Um, Got to take me out to dinner first, buddy. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> I'm you sure walk, they probably call walk, it mate. getting stabbed something weird over there. Getting stabbed, hashtagged, rather be stabbing. <laughs> I have my little sailor hat, Captain Stabbing. Oh my god. Please. Oh my god, this is getting crazy. I'm gonna stop. Could you do that? Bring listen, I've just thought of something. Bring listen that up. as a as a alter ego of user. Write a concept <laughs> album around Captain Stabbin. So it would be kinda like uh Shock G and um Humpty. And the funky bunch. Yes. <laughs> my name is Humpty and I like to get frumpty. Yeah, and with the big schnoz, like the golden nose, like I don't know what that was all about, but it's pretty awesome. It worked. It like, that was the most yeah, popular like thing they did. Yeah. Like people are like, Well, where's Humpty at? Like, no no no, that's a joke. But we want him. Yeah. Well, okay, so speaking of Captain Stabbin, so like Seattle is really um like oh, there's a lot of water features everywhere in the city. There's like lakes everywhere and so like there's a lot of boaters right so you end up getting invited some by somebody to go boating like over the summer and there's like you know single people and just you know you're doing that kind of thing and then for those who i don't know made it uh made some success and like got a nicer boat usually you'll find some people that have like a downstairs with like a bed and those folks are legit captain stabbing like for real (laughs) and so like one of my buddies i was like I nicknamed him Captain Stabbin, and he actually nicknamed his own boat the Stabbin Wagon. Oh I would have gone for cabin. Then wagon. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Sorry, not wagon. You're right. You're right. It's the Stabbin Cabin. I don't know why I fucked that up. That's hilarious. It's like but... you got the Shaggin Wagon, and then you got the Stabbin Cabin. Yeah. That's yeah. awful. Is this guy in jail right now? Well, he did get like confronted by the like the the boat police once they like came up to his boat to like inspect like why is there a boat parked in the middle of the water with like nobody in it and they like saw him uh down there did they they embarked the ship and found him yeah they they beat the girl to death bless her heart and then uh you know he went off into the sunset sounds like a cop move yeah Yeah, it's like like, and and then he sticks his finger in it and goes yeah, it's blood. God damn it. <laughs> Sprinkle some crack on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like uh, Kung Fury. It's like, I got struck by lightning and bit by a cobra. And then <laughs> that's why I know Kung Fu. That's how you learn, <laughs> That would be a lot easier way to learn it than, I, than actually putting the dedication into it. Yeah, than like Just getting like, slapped I will... around by your sensei for like three years. Yeah, like, I will take graduated. my chances to get bit by a cobra and hit by lightning at the same time. I mean, that's pretty badass. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, to think about it, though, like I was in Taekwondo when I was a kid. Like that's like that's like college, man. That's like a long process to get up to the the top, you know? Like are you ever at the top? a lot of boards, breaking little boards and, you know, doing jump kicks and stuff for two years or whatever it takes. So are you a, a ninja officially? Uh, I mean... 
no, I dropped out. <laughs> Which like someday it's gonna come back to haunt me. I'm gonna get like confronted on a train and like some yeah, some board's going to attack you. <laughs> right. and you can't like, break hey. it. Like some some street gang is like, hey man, like give me all your cash, and I'm like, ah yeah, and I start doing like the three ninjas and just get my f- ass kicked. And then uh, I'm gonna be like thinking about my childhood and saying, I wish I hadn't dropped out of Taekwondo. Right, right, as one does. Yeah, Rex Quando. Like, you know, it's like a Napoleon Dynamite. It's like, who wants a roundhouse kick to the head with these babies on? Am I right? I wouldn't. I mean, I he was probably saying that because it's like the American flag, but I would be embarrassed because somebody would be wearing something so awful and could kick my ass. And for only $300, you can join my eight-week program, Rex Quando. Because it only takes eight weeks. Yeah, or even if it only took eight weeks. My God. What a I most... know. What is this? The Matrix? It's like, <laughs> oh, well, I know Kung Fu. Oh, like, God. I know it already. Have and you seen the set photos for Matrix 4? No. I haven't even I saw the I saw the video of them like jumping off a building and like dangling from a wire. That it's, was pretty. It's funny because I almost feel like it's a joke because it's Keanu Reeves in his exact current form like beard, scruffy hair. Like, like John Wick Part Four, John like, yeah. but and but then there's Carrie on Carrie on Moss, and I'm like, is this like a commercial or is this actually like a movie? Because I I, it's I, I don't understand what's happening. It's I like did Matrix Four, Lost in the Old Folks Home. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch the Sports Bowl, but wasn't there supposed to be a Bill and Ted commercial on that? Oh yeah, I've heard they were filming that too. That's gonna be kind of weird. I don't know what it is, but like as um Keanu has gotten older, like he seems sort of shaky, like in like the uh, Marty McFly grown up sense, if you know what I mean. And, oh, so I, he's like, yeah, no, you're amazing. You're breathtaking. Like he's just got this weird tempo to how he talks and moves now. And like, you know, when he just reaches out and does a high five uh, for Bill and Ted, it's probably not gonna feel the same. Yeah, but I don't know. We'll see. We have to figure that out. Call me skeptical, but, you know, I'm a purist. I like my old Bill and Ted. Everything old is new again. Shit. And everything is old is old. Yeah, everything must pass. To quote the great... None shall pass. None shall pass. It'll be interesting to see. Are are you excited about Bill and Ted 3? Me? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. I haven't (laughs) seen any, like, real stuff yet. So until then, it's just, like, an internet meme. I, I think that's a perfect... Uh, it really is what, yeah. it, what it comes to. I'm old and to. wise, you know. I'm 21, so, like, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm filled with life lessons like this. I know, I've already been through my year of drinking cold 45. <laughs> I'm 21 now. I've graduated <laughs> on to the next <laughs> thing. Yeah, I've graduated to cold 46s. <laughs> right. The logical progression, because that's the master level. They don't teach you about that in school. It's one better. People ask me for advice. I just say, take a knee. <laughs> We're going to talk this through. <laughs> Let me tell you. I things. sound like a creepy baseball coach. I'm like, take a knee. Well, and then what? Too soon? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, then... I'm awfully quiet in here. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right. Neither of you guys are baseball coaches, right? <laughs> uh, let me sit this one out, coach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my mouth guard. I'm like, put me in, coach. Come on. I'll take a knee at home. Oh. Take a knee at home. That's yeah. what she said. I can. <laughs> Indeed. Just take a knee by yourself. I'll take this <laughs> knee with me. Yeah, my, my, she's, my she's weed. Very, she's very religious. She's just praying all the time on the on the knees. On the weed knees. Just place my hands together. 
<laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Um, there's a, there's actually a trailer for a new movie called Saint Maud that I just saw on the internet, and it's made by the same people who did Hereditary, and um, you know, Midsummer. It's the A24. Oh direct, yeah. You know those guys, and it's like about this girl who thinks that she's like possessed by the spirit of God, and she's like a nurse, like a night nurse. And so she's like slowly oh, yeah. more like unhinged. And like the trailer has her like filling her shoes with like thumbtacks. I was to, just like, gonna say out. something about that exact part. And she yeah. like stands up and like you hear this like squishing, puncturing noise, and she's like walking through the city, like having a holy experience. And I'm like, this movie looks fucking crazy. And I am here for it. I wanna see every minute of that. I and man, I had a holy experience because there's holes in my feet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you know, it's like in the Da Vinci Code, there was that guy who was like constantly whipping himself. You yeah. Because like he was into it. It was albino. He's a leather daddy. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> leather daddy. Yeah. Albino leather daddy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he's like one of those furries or whatever. <laughs> no, he's the vision from fucking uh, Avengers. That's true. Oh, speaking yeah. of furries, I actually happened <laughs> upon a furries party in Seattle, like a real furries party. Um, by, by accident or uh, on purpose? Yeah. What, what? What's the circumstances here? Yeah. So there was once a great war, and no. Um. So I was I was literally uh hanging out with one of my music friends, and he's a sound guy for a local venue in downtown Seattle, and um it was that time. So I went out on the town just to like you know have some fun on a Saturday night, and he goes, "Hey, dude, uh, it's a private party tonight. You can't come hang out at my bar." And I was like, "Oh, okay. What's happening?" He's like, "It's a furries party," and I said. Jesus Christ. I was like, dude, you were inviting can I me hang out? And I was like, can I hang out in the sound booth with you? And so me and my girl went and met up and we sat in the sound booth and I literally watched through like a peephole in the wall, these people dancing to like house music, wearing full like animal costumes with like tails, like, and there was no sense of irony in them. They were like doing it for real. And I was like, this is amazing. This is like the stuff of legends. And so I got a video of it, obviously. Um, and, <laughs> Through the uh, people. <laughs> and I sold it to TMZ, and now I'm rich. So that's cool. Uh, I'm pretty sure but, they're, they're paying high dollar for that quality content. Yeah, no, this, the, 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 like, the leather and, like, furry scene and, like, the, like, the bed puppies or whatever you call it, like, the dudes with, like, leather dog masks, like, that whole scene in Seattle is actually pretty real like there's a lot of people who are into that stuff and so when we have like city parades and shit for like the more kind of um uh the free expression parades you know whatever brand of the month that they're doing those types of things you'll see some of those dudes walking around in like leather bondage outfits with like a dog mask on and it's like (laughs) there's like kids and their parents like standing on the street going like waving (laughs) (laughs) that's harold he's great yeah Hey Harold. <laughs> oh hi. <laughs> yeah. Woof. <laughs> I also find that story kind of special that like you were spying <laughs> through a little people watching this transpire. <laughs> like that has its yeah. own extra little mm to it, it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, beneath the surface there's a flurry of emotion, you know. Yeah. I was behind that little cubby just becoming a man that night. <laughs> Yeah, and here we are. It was, today. it was like my it was like my werewolf bar mitzvah. <laughs> Both the, uh, Dirty rock, Kinsadiera, uh, oh, all wrapped into one. werewolf bar mitzvah. Spooky, scary. Boys becoming men, men <laughs> becoming wolves. 
That's a real thing. Tracy Morgan, Google it. It's un- incredibly funny. It's like a fake music video. He's like, remember that time that I did that novelty <laughs> music video for the, the bar mitzvah? It's a very good impression. <laughs> I give that a 10 out of 10. It was very accurate. Yeah. I got an EGOT. That's an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. <laughs> EGOT. <laughs> I'm an impressions guy. I don't know if you've noticed, but I can do anything anybody that sounded way more like seductive than i meant <laughs> yeah to. like what are you where are you going put that this? in the lead to this thing like we talked to user who i can, can do, do anybody, anybody. <laughs> just point i'll do them yeah. point and shoot <laughs> point and shoot <laughs> it's like that movie the professional where like he's like teaching the little girl how to be an assassin she's like just point and shoot babe that's all it takes <laughs> Yeah, except like, Natalie you know, Portman. he what was a, like 40-something and she was 12. <laughs> we I can't mean, air this she had the little, like She had the Eon Flux haircut thing going on. It's still cool. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. that movie gives me confused feels. but Yeah, it's, a, it's a sad movie. I mean, she loses her family, you know? Yeah. Then she becomes... Eon Flux? Man, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Eon Flux. Yeah, Eon Flux is really deep, too. I, I preferred the cartoon over the movie, though. I, we all do. Yeah, I think that's a universal. Now, what, yeah, I thought I'm... they were going to bring back the, the animated series for a while or do a movie. I swear I heard that somewhere. There was talks, I, mean, I believe, but yeah, it just went over. Sure, some asshole ruined it, and then an executive meeting was like, do we really need another Eon Flux, though? And they are like, you're right. And then they all went back to, you know. Doing their thing. Some millennial was like, Yee. YOLO music video. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just get more cat videos on YouTube. I think that's better. So, like, how many SoundCloud so anyway, rappers are doing the soundtrack? Like, all, anyway, the next point of discussion. Uh, where has Real Housewives not had a season yet? They're like, <laughs> can we do one in Acapulco? That would be exotic. The restaurant. <laughs> TGI Fridays. The Real Housewives of TGI Fridays. They're like, you took my jalapeno poppers. <laughs> See, now that You're is quality television. Me. These apps were supposed to be bottomless. Fuck that. <laughs> These apps are bottomless. That's like a confused boner. <laughs> <laughs> These cheese sticks are so gooey. <laughs> Slutty pizza. Better be bottomless. Stuffed crust. Oh. <laughs> and not in the sense that it's all you can eat either. <laughs> yeah. Better not have any pants on. <laughs> Yeah, that's the new stipulation. You have to take your pants off before embarking. Who wants bottomless mimosas? <laughs> I do. Man, that just sounds like a, the danger zone right there. Oh, that will make you forget where you parked your car and <laughs> say that it was stolen to the cops. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I did do a bottomless mimosas party, like uh, like kind of um, bar run last weekend, I think. And um, yeah, literally... We went out for breakfast, and next thing you know, it was like 11 p.m., and I still hadn't left the bars yet. And, like, we literally drank for, like, the entire day, hopping all over Seattle. And I'm pretty sure I, like, removed a couple years of my lifespan that day. Um, I did end it with a karaoke performance of um, Say It Ain't So by Weezer. and um, I was hoping to go by horses, but that's fine. Yeah, I mean... You know, it, it wasn't them. it wasn't in the cards that night. No. I just had to go a little wheezy. Gotcha. But you know, people were into it. 
so actually this is kind of weird like my night kind of ended with me upset because some random drunk man actually started running his hands through my hair when i was like trying to cash out at the bar (laughs) and i was like and i had to like do like the kind of assertive like seattle like boundaries consent thing where i was just like hey um you're invading my personal space and i would like you to stop instead of saying hey fucking asshole stop touching my hair And it was really awkward because there was like a million people in that bar too. And they were all just kind of like, he likes it. (laughs) 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 It was just like, I guess. (laughs) Who are they saying he likes it for? You or the other guy? Me. Yeah. He likes it. (laughs) He's just playing hard to get. How are they they making the decision for you? You know, it's just, it's a wild life out here. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh God! Yeah, I have like PTSD. I have PPSD from that. Um, <laughs> PP. My PP was it's like, it's like it's wiener wiener stress. It's PPSD. I can really yeah. I can understand that. Too soon? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Maybe for hey, it's happened to you, so it's your story. It was yeah. yeah. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Tell yeah, us if it was too soon. Yeah, anyway, so that was pretty fun. <laughs> uh, <that>. Anyways, uh, <laughs> tell, tell us more. Yeah, uh, actually, we'll, it's kind of we'll funny, see. too, because I, I entered two songs into the queue. The first one was Say It Ain't So by Weezer, and the second one was uh, Shallow from the movie um, Star is Born. And I was going to try to sing both the man and the woman parts. And so after that guy did that to me, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to sing this for y'all. And I walked away. <laughs> so like, they were probably like, is there a Christian in the house uh, going to sing shallows? And uh, uh, nobody, nobody, nobody going once. And everyone kind of just probably got sad for a minute. And then, uh, you know. That's, I, that's how then I they know. ran their fingers through someone else's hair and it was yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. The the later. And like, is there like slow mo running their hands? Through you are my mirror. Oh, that was a. Uh, what's that girl's name? Um, Celine Dion. Oh, yeah. That girl. Yeah, that one. Like a, that girl. That woman. <laughs> that super famous person. I'm, I'm old now. I have to say woman. I can't say girl anymore. That's, in, that's not nice. Yeah, that's very insensitive. Um, but. But, you know, I don't know if you all have heard this, but um, Ariana Grande, the singer, she does an insanely accurate impression of Celine Dion. It's, like, silly how good it is. I'll tell you this. I've never heard that song from that movie, but I have seen her do the impression of Celine Dion. It's, it's like, crazy good, right? It, yeah. She, she did one. She did, not like, a talking impression of Jennifer Lawrence on, like, SNL, like, Fake Jeopardy or whatever. And they're like, all right, and now Jennifer Lawrence, uh, welcome to the show. And she's like, hi, I'm just like everyone else. I'm just normal and, you know, whatever. And um, But, like, she did this, like, kind of burly, like, everyman voice uh, <laughs> as if she was Jennifer Lawrence. And it was, like, so good. It was so exactly the sound and, like, t- timber of her voice. It was crazy. I feel that there's a, there's a lost calling. So this is someone you look up to as someone who does impressions then. <laughs> Well, my dad actually is a voice actor, so I think it kind of runs in the family. See, as I say, as a fellow, he could appreciate as a fellow impressionist. Mm. See, yeah, I remember he used to do like uh, he used to do like commercials for like car companies. Like he did like Lexus stuff in the past, and he like you know would do like kind of movie phone style 
stuff too, like the, uh, you know, like that kind of thing. In the radio <laughs> I, I'm not doing world, it justice. It puking. But, you know. <clears throat> That's the technical term in radio is puking. Yeah. So when you, when they're you... like, all right, we're going to get a couple of puke takes. Yeah. And then, uh, when it's all diaphragm, the, uh... it's puking. Yeah, we're going to get a couple cuts of you puking, and then we're going to move on to the uh, leads. And then uh, I'm trying to, like, pretend like I know the, the terms, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just go. You use whatever comes to mind. The confidence yeah. is key, really. Confidence is key. You sounded so confident. <laughs> you know. <laughs> All right. So um, the tour, I'm bringing it back. This is, like, my main job is to wrangle us back to, like, <laughs> to some semblance of. Slow clap. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's mostly what I get. Uh, so you've got the tour coming up, which sounds like it's going to be a blast. It sounds like you need to protect your liver, perhaps, on this track. Well, you know, my, you want to know my secret? I'm always hurting my liver. <sighs> that didn't really land like I thought it would. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, no, it's the truth, so. And then and here and then they're like having a therapy session right now. I'm yeah. just like revealing hey, myself. Christian, um, do we need do, do we need to talk about after that? the show? We can I, refer you. He's like unfolding a paper with like a, a like a, a note he's written to me. Like Christian, I'm here today to tell you that I'm so sad about what's happening in your life, and this is an intervention. It sounds like you know a little bit about it. I mean, I, there was a TV show called Intervention, and they always had like a handwritten note that they folded up and pulled out of their pocket. And I'm just like, here we go. Okay. <laughs> it was the um, same thing every time. I, I, I enjoyed the first half of every episode more than the second half. <laughs> you know, where we got to know the person before. You got to see the shit show? Yeah, before they tore him down. Man. Right. To rebuild them. Yeah, exactly. We're going to strip If it ain't broke, years. don't fix it. Am I right? <laughs> Let's go, boys. Yeah. Woo. So speaking of the shit show before things got ironed out, how did you get into Synthwave? Yeah. Hey. How did I get into Synthwave? So I got struck by lightning and bit by a cobra. (laughs) Yeah. And then I, um, yeah, no. So the, my parents are musicians for a living. And so I've been into music my whole life. Um, I play a lot of instruments, um, I started off in like the metal scene and like rock and roll and just da 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 right and then like over the years i you know picked up one uh trending genre after another uh, when i was in seattle i kind of got into the synth music scene and i don't know if y'all have listened to my music or not but basically like i'm kind of um i like paying homage to certain sounds but then i like kind of turning a corner and making it my own um, and so I've always been like the synthwave on the fringes guy to kind of borrow the term from Dennis. And, uh, yeah, so like I've been vaguely synthwave this whole time, but I'm always kind of doing something to break some kind of rule. And, um, you know, it's not good for playlisting and stuff cause people like that purity ring, but you know, whatever. It's, like it's you're cool. a I really like renegade. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Renegade is literally about that. I wrote that song after getting rejected like the 90th time for a playlist. And I was like, you know what? I, I have a, I'm at a crossroads. Either I write songs for you fuckers or I write songs for me fucker. And um, <laughs> yeah, I just, it felt like it needed the bookend. Um, so I write songs for me and that's the choice I made. And so that was the meaning of renegade. You know, it's interesting that I, cause I, I hear people cause you know, we have uh, friends in the scene and, and it, talk about the struggles of of you know 
promoting yourself and all that kind of good stuff. It's interesting to me that you have had struggles with getting on playlists. That seems to me like a kind of a shoe in for you, like in some people's playlists. I get, it's interesting. Well, I mean, on one hand, it's kind of like who you know. It's like a networking challenge. But on sure. the other hand, it's like, you know, look at what happened with Iron Skullet, for instance. Like, um, he was one of those purists, right? So, like, I remember back in the day him, like, rejecting my stuff over kind of purity reasons or like quality reasons whatever his reason was and um and now he's doing like the fixed neon thing where he's like basically preaching about like how synthwave needs uh an injection of like modern music and kind of make it more mainstream and blah 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 and i'm just like that's exactly what i chose to do from the beginning it's ironic because now it's being rewarded as if it's like new and novel but but you've been around so long yeah i used to get punished for that like now at least I'm starting to get a little bit more like love, but it's like, I think this is actually really detrimental to the genre because like, while it's cool to kind of pay respect to a sound and a, and a style, and we all know what that, what those ingredients sound like it's, yeah. on the other hand, it's like, um, we all know what it feels like to be bored with a song that you want to hit the skip button. Yeah. And the reason why we feel that way sometimes is, is because the song lacks opinion and it's not speaking to us, if that makes sense. And so like one of the things that I always do is I always keep my ears open for things that do speak to me that do have an opinion. And, um, and I love those types of songs, right? Those ones like really have a poignancy and they stand out and they tell their own story and they own a space. And, so when I write songs, I try really hard to make opinionated choices, like put a totally off the wall transition between two sections that people wouldn't understand or sample my voice and turn it into a synth bass or, you know, um, act like I'm going to do the 80s drum kit thing and then turn it into a trap song, like just like weird things where it's like a rule is in front of you in a way or like a pattern that's established and recognized and expected and then just kind of turning the corner and doing something different and all of a sudden now the listener doesn't trust you you're an unreliable unreliable song uh, uh narrator in a sense where all of a sudden they're like oh god i wonder what he's gonna do next like that is the essence of having an opinion in your music and breaking the rules and that's what i love i love that so much and so you know, I hope if anything, like once this genre comes around and becomes like really boundary pushing that people recognize like that, you know, back when it wasn't cool to do that, I was definitely trying to do that. You know, it's interesting because like <clears throat> my perspective is that outside of other genres, it's, it's actually fairly open. I mean, it, there are certain like, you know, obviously like certain sounds, certain song structures and kind of things that fit the genre, the umbrella, but you could do weird stuff in synthwave that you wouldn't necessarily be able to do in maybe folk music or other styles of electronic music even. Yeah, for sure. It's well, a... I mean, this is actually what's, what's cool about like um, modern popular music is, is that like you're seeing because of like computer music making and because of all the the kind of like sub um, subcultures that you can appeal to and get on these massive Spotify playlists and stuff. Like you're seeing a lot of people sort of um, amalgamate like different sounds. So for instance, you're hearing like in country music, you're starting to hear more like hip hop elements. Mm -hmm. And so you'll hear like on country radio, like you'll hear like electronic kit, like drum kits and like, you know, just like elements of like pop music and hip hop that you would have never heard like 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, now we've got, people like Lil Nas X doing like a country trap tune. And then you've got P 
people like uh, Casey Musgraves doing basically like Tame Impala style, like indie songs, like on a record while being, you know, boot stomping and like playing a mandolin in the background. Like it's a, it's a strange thing because then all of a sudden you're looking down the barrel of like the Mumford and Sons, right. And like that indie space. And, and then you get to the indie Tronica people who are like vaguely electronic, you know, like, and then it's just this giant kind of gradient, like all over the place. And I think that what's funny is, is that while I do agree with you, like synthwave as a genre is fairly flexible. On the other hand, if we had started from the position that like modern pop is, it's like already boundary smushing together uh, more so than like the purity of John uh, oh, sure. synthwave was right. And so mm -hmm. like the idea that Casey Musgraves can get picked up uh, for, you know, 14 Grammys or whatever, and then be like the, the um, wonderkind of like the country music awards, but also sound like Tame Impala at the same time is like a testament to how much flexibility there is in like modern songwriting now. And that is something that truthfully, I don't really feel like we have perfected yet as a genre, as a scene, like Synthwave is cool. Everyone's really positive and supportive, but like, I don't hear enough people really like breaking their own rules and pushing their boundaries. Sure. You know, like that's a different story altogether. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. And I feel really old cause I don't know who any of those people are that you were talking about. <laughs> okay. Cause I just so don't Billy even, Idol, I, I, um, I, 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 Billy holiday, Michael Jackson, <laughs> um, uh, wham. <laughs> hey, don't fuck with wham. Well, do you remember that, like, there was a time when, like, Wham! was basically a bunch of straight guys. Like, nobody, like, realized that, you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there was, like, a time when, like, we were all so pure and innocent that we were just, like, oh, yeah, it's, like, they're all wearing mesh tank oh, tops. Oh, yeah. Like, no big deal. I mean, everyone was in the 80s if you were cool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, I mean, and that's look cool. at hair metal. Like, like, come on. It's, like, that's, that's how, that's how, like, lighthearted 80s was is that, like, you know, people hadn't really realized, like, what subculture they were actually, like, listening to. And um, it's funny because now it's, like, you know, looking through the lens of modern times, it's just, like, oh, yeah, for sure. It's, like, yeah, definitely, absolutely. A, like, a gay singer. Like, that's for sure what's yeah. going on. Yeah, that, that was um, never in doubt. It's, like, there was doubts that Boy George may have been Right, yeah, and gay. it's a really interesting thing. And, I mean, like... um like it's cool because in seattle we have like a ton of like really uh really uh vibrant like artists in that scene um like lots of like amazing uh you know like acts like bands there's also like this really thriving um uh, what do they call this uh it's when the dudes do like the performances in like and drag like drag shows mm. there's a massive drag show community um a vibrant drag show community in seattle and they're like insanely fun like you go out to these bars and like they'll be like, all right, now we're having a drag show, and like all of a sudden these you know these uh, performers are coming out and like lip syncing to like Whitney Houston and stuff, and it's like honestly the funny, like the, it's funny to a degree, but it's also like super um, fun, like yeah. just like everybody's just like raging super hard, and it's like uh, actually super cool, and it's kind of funny like thinking that you know Seattle is like such a you know, coffee town so, starbucks well no i was gonna say it's like <laughs> such a it's like such a liberal city that like people consider that to be just like oh that's just like it's a very left city and therefore it's like you know um like it's more accepted there but like sure. really i think like most places would have a lot of fun with this if they got over the shock of it you know 
Yeah, definitely. But, I think, you know, being from the Twin Cities. It's a very it, similar. Yeah, it's very similar kind of uh, culture. and. I didn't realize that's where you guys were. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's funny because I think uh, I was introduced to you through Jasper Mitchell, and he's over yep. there. Yeah, right? he's one of our buddies. St. Paul. Yeah, yep. dude, Jasper's the man. We are definitely St. Paul man. boys. Yeah, St. Paul boys. He's going to be very happy that you mentioned his name on the show. Jasper. Jasper Mitchell. <laughs> you'll, you'll be getting a lot oh, of messages. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's interesting. Did you know that Divine was one of the pioneers of uh, synth pop back in the early 80s? Hmm. He released a bunch of... She, depending on the alter ego, released a bunch of... Uh, like Is it Divine Noir? Uh, Divine, the drag, the drag queen. Oh, I actually don't know Divine. Uh, you ever watch any John Waters movies like Pink Flamingos or hmm. Hairspray? Oh, yes, Holy... I've seen Hairspray. So the mom in Hairspray, that actor, is Divine. Divine is like, oh. it, it, kind of like pre-RuPaul, that was the major icon oh, of the of I see. transgender. Well, I would say drag because... For Divine, it was a character. He was very much a man outside of all of yeah, that. Yeah, there's definitely a difference. Like there's a there's like the the drag scene, and then there's like you know people who are actually medically in a different boat, right? That's, right. Uh, if you if you don't it's, know, it's who... really interesting though. It's like an emerging sort of language though. Like, yeah. I feel like you know we're all kind of stumbling around in the right way to like talk. Yeah, about that absolutely. In, like, a respectful, careful way, but it's there's a lot of like new frontiers in that. Like I re- was recently in a bookstore and there was like a book on pronouns and it was like 300 pages long. <clears throat> I was just like, man, I didn't realize this was such a complicated topic actually. But, you know, you learn. You learn. And if you don't know who Divine is, go look up Divine because well, Divine funny is. Funny you say that because I'm on trash. Google right now looking up Divine and Hairspray. So there you go. There you go. And look at like Divine and Pink Flamingos, John Waters in general. Like that's growing up. John Waters is my jam because like that was like the shock, like Crybaby with Johnny Depp. Um, Dude, Johnny Depp, man, he's like, he's been around, hasn't he? Uh, yeah. In more oh ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, like he's he's been around for a long time in the sense yeah. that he like, do you remember like when he was like young and he had like the crazy chiseled face and like looking like all super serious. I guess he's he's like the same now, but he just looks a little bit more dad. But, yeah. Uh, the, he's in yeah. a movie. Um, he's in a new movie coming out called Mini Mata, which is like a story about like um, like toxic uh, um, poisoning of like the fish industry like like actual chemical toxicity in japan and like how there was a big cover-up and it like was like poisoning people that's really interesting yeah so like he's in this new movie called mini motto where he plays like an alcoholic um war journalist oh like kind of covering this covering this thing that's happening in japan that you know people in the states don't care about or whatever england my my complaint about johnny depp in the last like 15 20 years is that he basically plays the same eccentric character since Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Like, once he did that movie, it's like, it's all over. Like, Pirates, okay, be that character. Yeah, be, you just, Pirate, you know. Well, Pirates, like, he said that he he modeled his character in Pirates after... Um, Keith Richards, dude yeah. Dude from the Rolling Stones, yeah. Like, uh, hey, blah, Another blah, drugged blah, out... Blah, blah, blah eccentric character yeah. of like Hunter this Thompson. is new this is like fine wines man these are nuanced characters man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah one was like, subtlety uh your cab 
you know, Cab Sov, and then the other one is like a Malbec, you know. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Like they're they're very subtle and refined. Red. <laughs> yeah. Uh, red. I like red wine. And then, and then or yeah, white. And then, uh, and then what was it? Uh, like Willy Wonka is more of like a port, <laughs> port wine. And my it's understanding is he, he referenced that performance on Marilyn Manson. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Isn't yeah, that, I mean, I did a quick look movie, to the I wouldn't, side. I wouldn't, call yeah. it good. <laughs> I wouldn't call it good, but it was definitely. Well, <laughs> yeah. uh, but you know, at like earlier in the eighties and the early nineties, yeah, he was doing some some cool stuff that wasn't like all just super eccentric, weird. Or he was doing mm. he was doing it before it was like, oh, this is the only thing you can do. Right. He wasn't that yeah. person in From Hell. No, and and, and well, what's from he... hell was like his own directorial debut, wasn't it? Like he was, was trying to like no, it was no, two Dead brothers Man. that I don't think have done anything since. Yeah. Oh. Dead Man is the movie he directed. I see. Um, yeah, from hell. Oh no, I'm thinking of Ninth Gate or something. Yeah, and that was a Roman Polanski oh, movie. So, what the hell am I which I don't about? mind. Is it the one where like he is like waking out and he's like in a four? I don't know. This is a totally See, tantalizing you, conversation. Here's the thing. Johnny Depp plays right the same character in the same movie with just a different title that you can't even think of the movie that you're thinking about. because That's all kind so of similar. like a Nicolas Cage movie. Well, I mean, yeah. Like, how about Al Pacino? Like, he's been doing that since, like, Godfather 3. Why? Like, oh, it makes me so sad. And God is up there laughing his sick fucking head off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know? Like, like every movie, hooah, you know. Um, I mean, Nicolas Cage, actually, if we're talking about voice acting, Nicolas Cage um, is almost the same impression as Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. So um, <laughs> if you do Nicolas Cage, which is essentially make a sad face and tighten your face and then talk in a low tone. So yeah. it sounds like this. I'm Nicolas Cage and I'm Bangkok Dangerous, right? <laughs> and then, and then if you add a lisp to that, you end up with Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. It's like, don't be mad because I've been talking to hot babes all day. <laughs> right. I would have never thought of that. NPR, so you... And if you're into if you're into NPR, like the radio, um, National Public Radio, Garrison Keillor is also the same formula, except he just sounds like a little more sing-songy. He's like, all right, we're listening to Prairie Home Companion. Uh, we're talking about... Uh. Which He's is... Basically, yeah basically Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And and that's Minnesota based by the way. Garrison Keillor. Amazing. Yeah, so that's Amazing. that's a Minnesota deal. His Summit Avenue mansion is for sale a couple blocks away from me. My uh, Summit Avenue mansion is for sale. It's uh, a <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so I mean this, that's dead know, on. Good for you. We're all in the same universe here. This is, you know. You're hitting home. Amazing. You're hitting real close to home. Oh. Almost literal home. <laughs> The, oh my I mean, the Nick Cage stuff. You're hitting you know, close to home for Resonating, me. yeah. Have you had a... I'm going the... to steal the White House. Okay. <laughs> can you say peach? I could eat a peach for hours. I, I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> that's actually really, like, sexy. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's. I don't know. You, you really nailed the caster Troy right there. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling. I'm feeling funny feelings. Let's say I want to take his face off. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take his face 
off. I remember he pauses when he says that and he does this like a hand gesture. <laughs> no more drugs for this man. <laughs> oh, how about this? Did you guys see um, that movie, um, Mandy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Can you yell how a lot it? like he does in that? <laughs> ah! Like, ah! That? When those like leather faced, like drug addict monsters were like trying to like kill him and he's just like covered in like blood and like just stabbing people, I'm just like, dude, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> This is the craziest movie I've ever seen. And it was like vaguely synthwave too. Like it had like purple neon all the time and just like it, droning. It really was. Yeah. Like, was well, like, no. I think partly influenced by like Frank Frischetta paintings, like the heavy metal no. Conan artist. And like that whole, I just remember like, cause it was the, it was like VHS horror aesthetic put like, in the total thing, yeah. the total yeah, package. Yeah. It, it was the it total was package. Horror with. Uh, well, you know what's funny? It's like when I think about the term wave, like anything wave, I remember um, hardcore music when that was like super big and everyone was doing their own version of hardcore and everything was like something core. Yeah. Like they had like grindcore, deathcore, hardcore, metalcore, doomcore. And like everything would like revolved around the breakdown, you know? Like uh, the formula in, in the music where you'd like have a build up and then a drop of like heavy metal breakdown. Well, I mean, like, I really wonder, like, if that is gonna like follow the same kind of like arc of interest that happened, you know, like, is synthwave gonna do that too? Essentially, where like people stop saying something, Ar- something arpeggios. There's lots of arpe- arpeggios. Yeah. Or new. Arpeggios. New synth. New synth. N U. <laughs> oh my god. That's yeah. Like, if you talk about bro, you about that's bro wave right there. You know the funny thing is like I, I was, I was old even when that came out, and I'm like I heard it, I'm like instantly knew I'm like fuck these guys are gonna be huge, and like I was dreading my life because I'm like they're oh, gonna yeah. be all over the fucking place, and and when I was showing it to my friends, they were very cynical because like. I think it was like stupefy and all that shit. I'm like, that's the dumbest shit ever. I'm like, you're right. It is the dumbest shit. It's going to take over the radio. And then my I nightmare do, I do came remember true. that like in that time period, like so they did like a 15 minute set on HBO. Like there was like this concert series and like they wheeled him out on like a dolly with oh like a God. straight jacket on yeah. and a face mask, like Hannibal Lecter. And then when they took the face mask on, his like eyes were like rolling around like he was crazy. And I was just like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Like, because I was like into like heavy, like metal metal at the time. Like Slipknot was pretty new. Like there was like, you know, I was listening to like Pantera and stuff at the time and Slayer. And I'm just like, this is so dumb. God, uh, why is this happening? You know, it's like, it's like when like something gets trendy and it's lame as fuck and you just like can't stop the people from feeling the way they do. And you're just like, this is going to be the hardest eight years of my life right now it, it really it, it yeah and you know the thing yeah, is it's like you had like all of those bands you know like all the new metal bands that were not pantera as far as i was concerned and i was just like f all of this, this sucks and, and you know the thing is is that they've been around long enough to where there could there's an air of like nostalgia towards limp biscuit like limp biscuit has oh, come oh, back mm, on nostalgia mm, alone oh, yeah, yeah. No. We're getting down. Oh yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Rolling, rolling, rolling. And I remember, like, I will wear a red hat backwards again now. Again. <laughs> well, I remember. I remember they had the MTV 
um, like Cancun, like beach series, like uh, during the summertime, and they had Limp Biscuit perform like like um, by the shore, and there's all these like bikini people. And I remember they like played an amazing set. They killed it, and it was like super heavy. It was like kind of a weird corn like set. Yeah. And and then they got big, and they turned just like lame as fuck, like immediately. And I was like, this is really sad because I had it on VHS, and it like recorded off the TV. There you go. Yeah, you I would watch it. And I'm like, this was like badass. Like these guys actually played a really good set, and then immediately just like turned stupid as soon as they got big. I remember like at the time it came out, me being just like in disbelief, be like, why is someone like Wes Borland like playing with these guys? Like I didn't even understand that at the time. Isn't he like a minister now? Or am I thinking of the guy from Corn Head? Yes. Yeah, you're thinking of Corn Boy. Yeah, that dude's like a preacher now. Yeah. He he's all just weird up into God pretty hard. Yeah. All up in there. that's awkward. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. it is. He's hard yeah, for God. We're getting down for Jesus. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Uh. Just like chug on some fucking power chords. Well, do you remember who's the dude who is like part of like the um, Bad Boy Records crew with Notorious and Puffy? It Mace. was a guy named Mace. Yeah. Mace. Yeah. He's also a preacher too. And then he tried to make a comeback record and it didn't go anywhere. And it's just like. Mm. Not, yeah, I remember his it. like kind of like sleepy sounding voice when he was like on a like bad boy who was hot on the track. Uh who back. Uh it's right? like mumble like, rap before it was yeah. mumble rap. You were very that was a great Mace impression. Like that was ten out of ten. Thank you. Thank you. You uh, are a master hot? of who your craft. craft. Yeah. <laughs> you are a craftsman, <laughs> sir. Thank you. I'm a craftsman. I'm at the Greek time. fest, hot and sandy. <laughs> I got the egot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's it's interesting, like the progression of like the new metal thing, like like the first Corn record, and I don't know, which I, was like the self-titled record, which yeah. is like a super fucked up and interesting sonic and piece of music, heavy, and really heavy as love. fuck, right? It was like super heavy, and they did Life Is Peachy after that, which was also extremely fucked up in terms of its content. Yeah, and that had like all the street cred in the world. Like I loved those two records. Even as like a metalhead, I was like, "This is like we're hearing something very different." And yeah. I don't like feel comfortable with this, but this is cool. <laughs> and, and then, uh, yeah, because I was like a kid when that came out, and I was like, all the things they were talking about, like I wasn't allowed to hear that kind of shit. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, but nonetheless, I was very familiar with those records. And then all of a sudden, like, what the fuck know, happened? Like, like the producers from Limp Bizkit like had the same thing happen to Corn. They basically like turned them into like a weird like outer space marvin the martian like hip-hop act and that's like, like <laughs> the most perfect like analogy ever yeah I mean, who we need to like make a hashtag out of that like right now because like that is exactly correct the first limp biscuit album i thought was really interesting and i was like oh okay and i saw like there was potential there and then it then it just it all i'm like oh that took a left turn quickly Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. Rolling, rolling. Yeah. There's something about that growl. Have you uh, ever thought about doing a Lip Biscuit cover band? Nope. <laughs> Good answer. That's how the, about okay. now? All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have nothing else to add. Oh, that's true and correct. Thank no. you. That's fine. You're yeah. good. That is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You passed. Thank you. That's yeah, you like, passed. Today like, you become a man. <laughs> we'll talk we'll talk more after the episode's over. <laughs> yeah. That conversation will continue. <laughs> yeah. Um But you know, in reference to what you're saying with like 
synthwave. It is an interesting, I feel like, and I've talked about this in other episodes, where like the synthwave scene maybe is on the precipice of of being basically cultivated by corp, big corporate entities. I think there's a lot of talent and a lot of interesting things that are happening. And yeah. we're waiting for our Limp Biscuit and Corn acts. Like they're gonna happen. I'm just curious. Oh yeah, for sure. What you know, wh- who the thing is, because like we're talking earlier about like pop acts and how they're they're you know they're just kind of taken from everywhere and and uh, it, well it, maybe that's maybe that's it already. Like rather than it being like like outrightly lame, maybe it's just only vaguely lame. Like having Dua Lipa doing a sweat wave track, maybe that's the lame thing that's gonna happen. You know what I mean? Because once they're done doing it, then the whole industry is gonna move past it. And then we're gonna just continue to be like a little offshoot. You know what I mean? Like we were there before it got hot, then it got hot, and then we'll be there after it got hot, but like it'll be like no longer relevant, right? And that's yeah. that's what's gonna happen. I mean like the weekend right now is putting out blind you know uh blinding lights or whatever like basically he had some success with i feel it coming with the daft punk stuff and some of his gesefelstein tracks and then you know now he's doing his next wave of tracks that are kind of vaguely synth wave trap and then when they're done with it they're going to move on to the next like kind of cross genre breed and we're just going to be like hopefully we all evolved too because that's my point is is like after a while like your purity ring becomes boring as fuck and then like we need something new right and so like we either evolve now or we wait for the inevitable which is like pop culture eats it shits it out and then we're gone right yeah and i but i I think like you know as far as like we're having a conversation earlier with with uh dana jean phoenix um was like the grunge scene is a perfect example of like pop culture and corporations and MTV eating an entire yeah. genre of music and then it just disappearing. And then the last vestige of it is Nickelback. And that's what we have to remember. <laughs> Grunge by is that they're like the Sorry, last. I like they had an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> Your brain, the Excuse aneurysm me. just like popped and you're done. You're just. Sexy aneurysm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there any other kind? The pantsierism. <laughs> I'm trying to think, like, in my head, my wheels are turning. Like, how do I do an impression of Nickelback right now? I, you make the sound of a car crashing. <laughs> yeah. Or like, like a goat. Kind of like a yang. dolphin dying. <laughs> yeah. Like Blackfish black part two. Yeah. Um, but, like, <laughs> that's the last, like, you have Nirvana and everyone knows Nirvana. But that's, you know, Kurt Cobain's dead. That, the, the, what? The, I listen. Is that too soon? Did you Spoilers. Say, spoiler alert! Uh, don't skip to page one hundred, please. Stop right. Yeah, read through. It's dead, bro. Um, well, dude, I don't know if you like realize this, but like Seattle um, is like the epicenter of like nineties grunge music. So, since like, when? Yeah, no. I mean, but there's like all this. There's all these venues out here that are like from like those days where all like you know all this famous like grunge acts played, and they haven't changed. They're still like these like grimy like brick buildings with like bad electricity and just like and so i've played at some of those places and you can feel like the history in there it's pretty badass actually and um and when i recorded um influence uh which is the new record um when i recorded influence like i recorded it in this like basement studio called orbit which is in downtown seattle and like that's where like allison chains recorded and all these other like famous like 90s um era like rock and grunge and metal bands right and so when I made this record, 
I was doing all the synthesizer stuff, but I played it as if I was doing like grunge electronic, right? And so like, if you've noticed, there's tons of like buzzing bass sounds in this whole record. It's because I was trying to pay homage to the, the grunge scene because that's what it sounded like in the studio. It just felt the, the, the right thing, you know? And um, so I can happily say I'm like a grunge wave artist. Oh my God. I'm, I'm the real deal, man. You heard it here first. Grunge we, wave. Yeah. We did. Wow. This is it. You just literally Yolo. created that entire thing right now. First up. Grunge core. Grunge core. Grunge wait, wave. Grunge, grunge core wave. <laughs> new grundle, new grunge core, core wave. <laughs> yeah. And you. They call my music grundle chords. Somewhere between the balls and the anus. <laughs> that makes it's, sense. It's deep in there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're like, well, how would you describe your music? And I say, mossy. Musty. Musty. <laughs> Mossy, I don't know. It could be. It could be. You just bossy. <laughs> I mean, that's really cool to have that experience and and be part of a, a heritage. And uh, it honestly is exactly what you're saying. It's super badass. Like you're in there and you're just like, holy shit! Like this is the real deal. Like you're, you know what I mean? Like it's. Imagine going and recording a song in Abbey Road in like London. You know what I mean? And you're like trying to do pop music or something. And you're like, this is where like Lennon and like Paul McCartney had a fucking argument about how to do the, the chord changes into the bridge of fucking yesterday or something. You know what I mean? Like, and you're sitting there like on the piano that they used and you're just like, well, I don't know if I have room in my song to put this piano in the recording. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so like, I'm doing like synth music, but I'm just like, God, like this drum kit, these guitars, like all these weird synths that are sitting around, there's like, you know, old Wurlitzers and Rhodes kits everywhere. And I'm just like, dude, like this, what am I doing? I should be writing like, like uh, music that uses all of these things. You know what I mean? Like this is uh, a miss on one hand, but it was still like a super cool experience. I don't know. So did you like prefer that experience versus like, I know it's like a, a cliche, but like a bedroom producer type of situation. Do you like an actual studio setup or something that's more personalized in your home kind of a thing? Well, um, I mean, on one hand, when you're uh, at home, there's not a lot of pressure because you're not spending money per hour, right? And you can kind of do a million takes of something if you've got the energy to do it. But on the other hand, when you're talking about a studio that's had some of the greats in there like you're singing into a five thousand dollar microphone going in through like you know a 1176 preamp or compressor limiter going into like a neumann preamp and then going into like this insane board and going into a freaking you know uh just incredible gear right like things that you would have to take a mortgage out in your house to like have and it's one of those things where it's like you know there's a reason why 1985 and influence sound totally different in terms of their quality. It's because 1985 was recorded in my house and influence was recorded in a real deal studio that had some incredibly rare, amazing stuff in it. And, um, it just sounds like a radio record to me because it's so different in it's like a signal flow, you know, mm-hmm. and the, and the room I was in, the room was different. It's like, you're in like a, a brick basement underground that has been treated for sound and there's like, you know, instruments everywhere. And you're like in a dark kind of, uh, dramatically lit room. And you're like looking into this board across the window and like the dude's like 
looking at you, like giving you the nod as you're singing, you're like, dude, this is a totally different experience. And it changes your performance. It changes how you feel about the, the, the music. It's just a, it's an experience, man. I, I would say like for those bedroom producers out there who feel like ready to take it to the next level, I'd say go like Google your local studio, find one that's like a good price point for you and go do it because like, it's going to make you sound like what you think you sound like. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it, it, what it sounds like is like it actually like transports you, like mentally, perspective-wise. Like you go into a space that's dedicated to recording, like your whole perspective, your whole mood changes, and so it, it obviously influences what you're you're bringing forth to the recording. Yeah, no, it's totally right. Like when I sang um, that song, "I Want to Be Famous," like we did, like the. Well, actually, no, like when we were recording, like all of the different songs, like I had basically created the songs in advance and I came in and we like listened to them and we talked about reference tracks and like what we wanted to go for in terms of sonic quality. And like in the room, you can tell if a song is good or not. Like when you're listening to it in front of a bunch of people and they're you're paying them to record you. Like there were some that everyone was like, yeah, this is this is it. Like we're doing this. This is a badass track. But then there was a couple that like people are kind of like, hmm, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. Like, I think I get it. Like, and you're like, you know what? This isn't really working. I'm going to take this one home and figure it out. And then I'm going to come back. And that happened a few times. And the record is infinitely better as a result of that. Like just having that, that filter of like people who day in and day out hear, you know, label signed artists, like recording, like the next big thing. Like those guys that you can see it in their faces if they're feeling it or not. And it's a totally different thing because you're like getting that real time feedback and it raises the bar, you know, you like, it, you challenge yourself to become something more, you know, and that you don't get that when you're at home because mm -hmm. like everything you do is perfect when you're at home, like as far as you're concerned, you know, it's right. Like you shit or you out, just shit hate it gold, or you just gold, hate everything. Shit out gold tracks, right. gold records, cool records, gold. I, I put my pants on one leg at a time. Like the rusty is so when I'm done. I make gold records. <laughs> it's Dickens. It, it's a really uh, it's an interesting perspective, and and I think like in some ways, like absolutely, because like you know, like when I've made you know done other projects in the past, like having some feedback, like real time feedback, especially from people who know what they're doing, is really valuable. And at the same time, it's like if you're doing something different or you do, you're breaking rules or you're, you're going against sort of a, a establishment that might be stifling in some sort of ways, again, maybe well, in some contexts. Well, yeah. So I think that's, that's true. So like the first person I talked to from that studio was like one of the guys from like the grunge and like punk scene. Right. So he's not a synth guy. And so he recognized that immediately and said, Hey, you know, like there is an engineer who works here who is like much more similar in his like taste than me or like to your stuff than I am. And he's like, he will give you better input and he'll be a better fit for your music than I am. And I was like, that's a good point. Like let's introduce. And so we introduced and like literally within like the first 10 minutes, I felt like I was talking to a brother or something. Like he knew everything that I was going for. He like understood and it made all the difference because I was like, Hey, you know that thing that they did in that one famous track? I'm going to kind of reference that, but then I'm going to turn the corner and do something totally different. And he's like, dude, that's genius. Let's do this. You know, like he, he gets it, right? And it was like, that just goes to show that you not only have to, you know, 
kind of get in the right headspace and like know what it is you're trying to achieve and being able to communicate that to people since you're paying for their time right and like you don't want to waste your paid time right but on the other hand like connecting with people that understand your vision and want to go for a ride but in order to do that like those people have to like kind of come from the same place that you're coming from they have to listen to the same types of things to be familiar enough to be able to give you that valuable input because if i'm talking to mr clash punk rock guy like hey man the song animal is going to be like a take on like a four in the floor meets like daft punk and justice meets a little bit of like disclosure he's going to be like the fuck are you talking about (laughs) right the reference points are simply not there yeah and but the other guy he's just like dude i could hear it like that makes a ton of sense like let's do it let's multi-track that vocal because that's what disclosure would have done you know that kind of thing right and you're all of a sudden you're like now you're like writing writing a song you know it's like amazing it's amazing experience so i did that for that album and i would totally do it again is that kind of like maybe your plan going forward is like it sounds like basically you write and demo stuff right oh yeah and then you and then you bring it to the studio and then you have that that input that collaboration if you will or insight maybe is a better word um oh yeah and and record from there is that something like you want to just do going forward or are you yeah, gonna... the, I've, I've already like I've already become a convert like I totally feel that's the right way to do it so for instance um, I have two tracks that are coming out soon one of them is a collab with Jasper Mitchell in fact Aha. which is you guys are gonna be stunned when you hear it it's a fucking hit I swear to god it's like the sickest song ever and then the other one is a cover of Gesefelstein right it's like a, my kind of dark synth banger that I like playing live and so I was like really into that I want to basically, the first, just as an aside, like I'm trying to craft my shows to be more danceable, so that way people are not just standing there bobbing their heads. Like I'm trying to craft a, a set where people are like kind of really moving around and really feeling energetic because it makes the whole night fun for everybody, right? Um, as opposed to boring. Anyway, so I wrote those two um, pieces of music. Like I did my kind of uh, collab, and then I also did my remix of the Gesefelstein thing, and. Um, so I wrote them and I sang them and recorded my voice doing them and all of that stuff. And I had basically a finished track, right? Which meant that I was able to listen to it on the way to work as I'm walking around the city, identify things that are wrong with the track and then kind of pencil notes down and come back and fix it later. Do that a few times, like spend a couple of weeks. And then next thing you know, I scheduled time when I was on a trip to think uh, to Palm Springs, California, which is where I grew up. And Um, put some time in the studio and went and recorded the songs with like essentially the finished vision right so like here's the song that i'm trying to do here's how i sang it and here's how i want to sing it and then there when you're in the studio all of a sudden you can hear what's not working you're like oh this sounds a lot better when i'm like walking down the street in my airpods or whatever but in the studio like when there's a bunch of professionals around you can hear what's not really working it's a different vibe right because you're getting that cross-reference again and so there was a couple things that i fixed um, with the mix and with the delivery and now i've got two very polished tracks on my hands and i just i don't see how i'm ever going to not do that again that just makes so much more sense to like prepare to have a track ready to go in and just like take it up a notch and like go sing it on some expensive equipment make it sound like the radio and then you know, depending on how far you're trying to push the track, then hiring somebody to professionally mix and master the track, like taking it beyond what you've done, maybe taking some of the 
sum the summing buses, you know, like your bass bus with all of your basses and your drum bus with all your drums and having them kind of do premixes. Um, so that way you still have your stuff intact, but just, you know, getting, getting rid of the dumb stuff that like, you just don't know any better, like to fix, like people who do this professionally for, you know, Maroon five or whatever, like, I love like a bring up like a, like a million dollar studio. And they like basically work with people who will not put up with anything but the best quality. Like those guys have moments where they're not booked, their time is available and they need a gig. So Google who did your favorite track, hire them to do your track. Like it's like so obvious now in hindsight, you know what I mean? Like, so for instance, um, influence was mixed by this guy named Pat uh, DeCenso who is in Boston and he mixed, um, this artist called shade that had a song called trampoline that was like top five on the billboard charts at the time. And then they got picked up to do a collab with like sting. And then another one with like, um, Zane from one direction. And so this guy yeah. is like, he's not, he's not fucking around, dude. He's like got skills. And he like, I, I just emailed him out of the blue after Googling him. And I said, Hey dude, like I'm working on an electronic grunge record and I'm trying to really push the boundaries of like synth music and just kind of give it some nastiness. And, uh, like, are you interested? And he's like, well, let me hear it first. So I sent him the pre-tracks that I had done, like from my apartment or actually no, from my, um, from the studio. Cause I had just finished that and he listened to it and he goes, yeah, fuck. Yeah. I'm, I'm really into this. Like, this is really interesting stuff. Let's do it. And then after that, when he was done, I hooked up similar situation. I hooked up with a guy out of LA who was like a Londoner who lives in LA. His name is Elliot Smith. Um, or Elliot James, I'm sorry, Elliot Smith has killed himself. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, um, yeah, that's cool. I brought him back from the dead uh, yeah, <laughs> to Elliot. work on your album. Um, Voodoo yeah, was involved. Big, big break for me for sure. Um, <laughs> and and so he mastered it, and like you know, he's he's no slouch either. He's like working with big names out there too. And so like the combination of those things, I remember I was in San Diego on on like a trip, and I got the final masters back, and I put on my nice like monitor headphones and i just laid in bed and listened to my album end to end and i was smiling the whole time i was just like man can't fucking believe how good this sounds like i sound like a different i sound like a million dollar artist through the the lens of their work and i don't know why i would ever go back at this point like that just doesn't make sense to me you know and so that's one of those things it's like if i could give a lesson to people who are like maybe not quite there yet write your songs polish it listen a lot fix what's wrong with it go find a reasonably priced studio knock it out and then go google your favorite songs credits find who mixed and mastered those songs and email them see if you can get them on your project i swear to god like if they say yes it's gonna be the best day of your life <laughs> you know it what i mean like, like you're that. gonna have a hit song after that. so let me ask you this um obviously like you have a, a very like well-trotted journey and there seems to be some epiphanies and some really aha moments. What's something that you look back on from maybe like the, the first few years of doing your thing that in hindsight seems so obvious that was wrong or not necessarily wrong, but like it would be like, man, if I just knew this thing, I could, it could have been so much better. Yeah. So like there's different things like different dimensions of stuff. So there's like this, the composition process, there's mixing, there's mastering, 
I'll, I'll start with composition. The first thing is, is that having a really crisp mix has a lot to do with the song you've written. And so plan for certain changes in energy, plan for when there's no bass in the song, plan for when the bass kicks in, plan for the energy shift that happens. Be intentional with that, be opinionated, but don't just like have everything on all the time because then the song is boring. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's the first thing I learned that makes like infinitely more dynamic music. The second thing is, is that like when you listen to a really well-polished track, even when it's like really punchy and loud sounding, the elements don't get loud and quiet in weird, uncontrolled ways. Like they use compressors correctly. Uh, they, they don't have things that are like massively quiet, quieter than other elements. Like they use side chaining and compression to kind of chisel out space and sounds to make everything really tight in their leveling. Mm -hmm. And when you start hearing it in the professional stuff and then you hear your stuff through their lens, then you realize what you were doing wrong. Like it takes you hearing your own music through their work to realize why it works for other stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, is just like having a sense of balance, like tonal balance when everything is like crushingly loud in the low end and like really dull in the high end. Like after a while you start to hear it easily and you can adjust on the fly a little quicker and your mix is better from the beginning rather than having to go have somebody surgically fix all of the things wrong with your track um i'd say also um in terms of composition if you're writing 10 songs at a time the sonic qualities of your songs need to be sort of similar from song to song like you can't have one that has like a ton of high end and then another one that's really dull in the high end because it won't be cohesive. So that's, you know, obvious little thing, but it's just like these things, you pick them up. And then when you, uh, the other thing is like writing your songs to use the same sound elements, like from song to song, even if you approach the songwriting differently, the song can feel like a totally different genre and just, it's not even similar sounding, but if you use the same basses and synths and all drums and, like, even if you're writing a different song, it's still cohesive because you used the same sound elements. Like, 1985, people sometimes have told me that, you know, oh, wow, there's like five different genres on this record, 10 different genres. Like, every song is totally different. It's like funny because every single song on that record has the same drum sounds, the same bass, and the same synths. I was just going to say, I don't, I, I didn't get that at all from that album. Well, I mean, that's, that's, I'm glad because like I had dealt with that a lot. Like people were just like, wow, you're really like all over the place. Like which genre are you? And I'm like, and I said, you know, who cares? Yes. Which genre? <laughs> yes. <laughs> which one? Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Like, that yes. one. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever you, you're whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's 10 different genres and only six songs. So I don't know how that works. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. New grunge. So anyway, I mean, that's, yeah, new grunge, nude grunge. I'm looking Whoa. for a new direction. Yeah, totally nude, totally nude, and lots of stubble. Nude grunge. Two days after shave down. <laughs> you know, I used to be on the swim team in high school. There was actually a time in my life when that was very, very relevant to me. Ooh, like smooth Christian. 
dude. And I'm and I'm like a hairy Serbian guy. So, <laughs> so, so tell us what it was like to be a dolphin deck. for one point <laughs> in your life. Yeah. I remember like the first time I ever did that walking out on the pool deck and all the girls on my team were like, holy shit, you look like a different person. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> look, at the, look at my contours. Yeah. You're never going to catch me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fast now. <laughs> <laughs> that greasy guy. He's so slippery. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's been my journey and. I don't want to turn back from it. I think I've learned a lot and I'm definitely excited about the next stuff. And I'm really excited about learning from the audiences. Dude, I mean, I can't even tell you, there's so much to learn from an audience's reaction just in their face or like in their body movement. It's like, what is interesting and not. And I think that's something that the big hit artists like really have that like a lot of us like young and dumb uh like you know small scene artists don't really understand is is that like you know if you make something that moves people it's like super obvious in the moment mm -hmm. and if you don't then you're gonna have a really tough time like getting the broader listener base to actually pick up on it because they don't listen to shit for genre they don't listen to shit for you know um, the scene they're listening because it's enjoyable and it moves them right and that's pretty much it so you bring up a very uh, actually a very interesting point and i probably would say it's my biggest complaint with pop music is the manufactured emotional moments either lyrical cues or song structures or things that you know throw back to something that's familiar it, it seems really like stale to me so like i agree like there's definitely like artists that throw set lists together that have a certain resonance with the crowd and they probably might even cater them to where they're at because certain things you know like metallica comes plays the midwest like that's their bread and butter that's where they're gonna yeah. you know hit it hit it home uh i'm just curious if like you know maybe their set list is different other places you know um oh yeah for sure but I mean, you gotta know your audience man so like here's an example in my San Francisco show, uh, I'm playing with synthwave artists, right? Um, Lord Nikon and Star Runner. And then in Los Angeles, I'm playing with like kind of like the new metal hip hop type artists that are like local to Los Angeles and they're like really grungy, right? And, um, you know, weird. And, and because of that crowd, it makes sense for them to have a heavy metal opener. But one of those artists from that, uh, group, uh, not not group, but like from that lineup, asked if they could join us on tour for the San Francisco show, and they're like a legit death metal band. That's awesome. And I was like, that's cool, but the energy of this lineup in San Francisco is totally different. It's like a like a lower energy synth music, right? Like chill. You know what I'm saying? And right. so like, not only do I have to be aware of that in terms of how I craft my set. So that way I'm like really maximizing my exposure with the audience. They're there for a reason, right? So I want them to kind of want to listen to me. So I got to like really understand why they're there. And the second thing is, is I don't want to like hurt the audience experience by having something that's like drastically different than what they're actually there for. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. imagine going to like an indie show, like a rock show and all the openers are like hip hop artists. Like that's not why they're there. 
And so, like, that's that's one of the things that you learn when you play a lot of live shows is like this is an important thing to recognize like listen to what the audience is moving to know your audience play what works in the room be willing to kind of be wrong you know what i mean like don't just demand to play your set as it is and just assume that they should like it it's like no like people are different and know the crowd it's really interesting actually because like you think like i'm looking back on like notoriously like independent or difficult artists and their sets kill so like is it the person (laughs) (laughs) are their sets like like do they i'm just wondering like well can you give me an example um well like nine inch nails for instance they they are tool like they the people's complaints is that they like tool does the same set year after year after year and then they incorporate like two other songs and they go well uh, takes too much time to incorporate different material into our sets. So, well, I would yeah. I would argue that the audience is there for that style of music to begin with. So now, yeah. just like talking about which songs in in their set, that's a different yeah. that's a different problem, you know. Yeah. But like, I have songs that are really relaxing and low energy, and I also have songs that are very heavy. Yeah. I'm not gonna play all my heavy shit at a chill wave show. You know what I mean? Like, it just doesn't make sense to the audience. And so, like, if I'm playing with Jasper Mitchell, I'm probably not going to play all my bangers. I'm probably going to play more of my medium stuff because he's more of a chill synth artist. It's yeah. probably what the audience is there for. But, you know, Brian right. Nails never played with a hip-hop artist. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, like, the same thing. Which I'm surprised that never did happen. Yeah, because well, actually... I mean, I'm saying that, like, as Trent if that's is... true. I don't really know. I've seen Nine Inch Nails a bunch of times. Some of them were, like, in the context of uh, festivals. And in yeah. that case, like... It's not a matter of like similar genres like all night. It's a matter of like stardom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there people are there to see nine inch nails and they will literally take what they can get. Right. Which is different than like early nineteen nineties tool when like tool is like opening up for fucking, you know, some rock band right. in LA that probably fizzled out. Yeah, and that here they are still chugging. You know, like artists like Prince, so like, you know, Prince Prince has always been yeah. enigmatic, even even before Prince was like Prince, like in the early like the late seventies. Like he always yeah, had I mean, this air of like I'm fucking doing what I want, and I'm not going to give you a reason why I'm doing it. I'm just going to fucking do it, and you're going to deal with it. Well, I think that's really true, and I think like he's a rare breed. I mean, like people who are that confident in what they're doing and that you know feel that their music their taste in music i mean so here's another thing like as a dj or as like a music maker like you have to recognize that what you're doing for the audience is is you're selling them your taste in music more than anything else and prince was so confident that his taste of music was good you know what i mean like when you like see those old like bootleg recordings of him performing like i want to be your lover you know like he's doing that as like a 20 year old and he's got like the same confidence then that he had now like before he passed away and that's that's like i don't know how he did it but like that's like i think that's like his biology like he just was born with that confidence yeah i don't know i don't know what it is there there was there's definitely something there there was something there something special yeah and i don't know if it's like special short bus special or like talent or it'll be a combination of both because like you know like you you think like michael jackson as well like we don't really know anything about like michael like at least i don't other than like 
he had very very particular tastes when it comes to like composition taste song progression he would get into fights with like quincy jones and i'm like don't fucking argue with quincy jones like just do the thing well you know it's it's kind of funny if you watch um this is it the documentary like you can see him sort of like telling him how uh, sorry, let me rephrase that. You can see him coaching his own group of musicians as to how they should perform it live and like what should be the hits and like the cues and like the kind of pauses and things. And what is he doing? He's actually using his memory of what works with an audience and he's coaching his band to play a song in a way that will make his audience maximize their experience, right? Yeah. And so like to me, that's another example of like, knowing your audience yeah you know like if i stand here and we play this note and i simmer for 10 minutes and i just kind of wait like a statue like this is gonna make the audience go crazy so we're gonna milk it you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. if he didn't have that experience he wouldn't have told them to do that but he knows it works and so he's telling them he wants that yeah you know and that's sort of like an interesting like like a love hate sort of situation where it's like you know in real life being so like shy and so reserved from the real world but then when it comes to like this one thing it's like he's got it like he knows exactly every single play to hit he knows exactly when to do it when to improvise or do whatever because he's probably had shows where it didn't work and he knows you know he's been doing it since you're like 12 years old you know i was feeling it feeling it fail live is like one of the best learning experiences you can have like i can tell you i had some shows early on where people are like not moving they're like kind of nodding their heads they're kind of clapping afterwards and i've also had shows where i did the opposite of that and i could see people dancing so hard that they weren't even looking at me you know what i mean and like people just going crazy in between songs like cheering and stuff and it's like totally different feeling and so when you see that happen you're like it's like, you know, the guy chiseling away looking for gold and granite or whatever, like in the mountainside. <laughs> and all of a sudden he's like, oh my God, I found it. I found gold you know? and granite. I feel whatever. like now is, like, especially now, would be a really tough time to play to a live audience. Why? Well, you know, I don't know. What's your. your mainly thought? because, like. The, the coronavirus? That the coronavirus, <laughs> but the, the, the telephone. Because if somebody's not oh, into yeah. it, they're going to be, you know, they get distracted, they're going to look at their phone, and they're not going to be into it. Or if they're really into it, maybe they've got their phone up and they're, you know, recording you or something. It's like, if you aren't really nailing it, they're going to lose interest really fast, and they have an immediate distraction from whatever is going on. So, I, I, two things. I want to hear, Christian, your particular experience with that. And then I have a rebuttal to you Kyle with your own and own your own experience where like we've been out to shows and you've been definitely lost in a moment and not on your phone yeah C- well, continue I mean, then please well I'll, I'll say this that like as as a performer you have a responsibility to do something that they don't expect if I go there and just do all the shit boring style why should they be looking at me you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like if I go to a show and all of a sudden, like I'll, I'll give you an example. I went to this, I went to this like live metal show once, um, called Living Sacrifice, 
and they poured gasoline on the guy's symbols and he lit his symbols on fire. You think I'm looking at my phone? Probably not. No. Or you're filming. Or you're filming, yes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just something about, like, like, do something. Do something worth looking at. You know what I mean? Like, if I'm just, like, playing my playlist, like, you don't deserve for them to not look at their phones, dude. Like, come on. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, do something notable. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting thing. It's, like, live music, someone's paid, typically, to go to a thing to see a particular artist. And so if you've if you've won them at that point, like just already they show up a body in the in the theater, like there's a level of engagement. But then if all you provide is like people hanging on their phones, that that's kind of really disappointing. Like it's they, true. They've already like I mean you had them hooked think with about though if you're a small artist though, like people are coming because you asked them to come. Yeah, that's you true. Know? So like that's especially important then because like they have no obligation to like you or ever come back. So you want to give them something that they're not going to forget. So I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's the answer. That's the answer there is that I think the artist has full responsibility over whether or not their shit is boring or not. And your rebuttal, Eric. Yeah. Like, so like for you, like, um, that time we went to a perturbator and ghost concert and you fucking, got lost in the sea of mosh pit action. You were engaged then the whole way through. And for the matter, like typically most shows, but you know, like, um, like I think for you, you're more of like a focus. If you're going to a concert, you're going to a concert. And if you film, like it's like a 10 second clip and you're, it's like a, a documentation that you were there. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It's Live audiences are strange because, like, you have a context where, like, there's accidental audiences. You're playing and people just happen to show up. That's your opportunity to really engage and, like, surprise folks. Um, and maybe yeah. so, like, even when people, like, know who you are, what do you bring? That's where it's, like, maybe a challenge. It's, like, they know exactly who you are, but what are you going to bring the, to the table to really engage them that's that's different uh to make them like not just sit at a table and like play on their phone all night because like what's the point of that if i'm at a show if i'm playing at a show that i'm like not bringing in the crowd and like and like the audience is like a hip-hop crowd or something i'm gonna do a fucking cover of the weekend and i'm gonna make that shit slap and i'm gonna do something just totally like i can't believe this guy just daft punked the weekend (laughs) like oh my god this sounds amazing you know like if like think about this like When's the last time something happened in real life where you're like, dude, I need to film this. And you pulled out your phone and you started filming it. You know what I mean? Like that feeling of like, my friends are going to shit when they see this. Like that, if your show isn't doing that, then you need to think of more. If you you weren't clapping the audience's cheeks. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's, that's my point though. It's just like, rather than assuming that they're there to hear you do your song, like think about like, this is like imagine your people are just walking by you on the street and you're playing this like why should they stop what's happening that's interesting right and so i would challenge artists to think about that like find something some angle to make this like something that they cannot help but tell their friends about they're like dude that's crazy i just saw this guy doing fucking robot voice lil nas x old town road like you're not gonna believe this but this sounded like daft punk was just doing little nas x like it sounded badass 
Yeah, you I mean, know? those are definitely- like, Here, watch this video, you know, that kind of thing. So let me ask you this, is there, like when you're doing live performances then, there's that that room to really improvise. And so do you bring things to your live performances that are unique versus what someone would hear mm -hmm. if they just bought your albums? Yeah, absolutely. So every single song off of 1985 on this tour is a complete new remix. So like if they come to my show, they're not, they will have never heard it before, guaranteed. So like I played a little festival a few weeks ago and um, I was uh, fortunate to play my set as I'm planning on playing it around the country next week. And, you know, I had a new version of chemistry, I had a new version of joy all very percussive, all kind of fine-tuned, like to kind of make the audience move and feel dancey. And I literally played my set in order from tempo. So like I started with a slightly slower track, hovered around 85 to 90 BPM. By the middle of the set, all of my songs were hovering around 100, 105. And then by the end, I like played a total remix of Regeneration at like 125, 130. And um, like the tension and the energy in the room was just like overflowing by the end and uh the people who knew the songs like actually remembered the words to my stuff were like yelling out the words and shit even though the songs were different and i'm like dude this is what's all about like <laughs> you know that's awesome so, i can see that being a good thing you're just like warming them up as you go along with the show it's like okay we're starting out here we're going we're going we're going and at the end everyone's just at 100 percent yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, everybody has a different approach to stuff, like what they want to see out of the audience. And for me, like, I'm just at a moment where like, I want to see people dance and that's it. This is all I care about. I want to see people moving because if they're not, then it's like they're busy thinking about other shit. I want them to like, look at their partner, whoever they're with and turn away from me. And I want them to be like looking at each other. Like I want them to be having a moment at that show, you know? With tongues. Like yeah, with tongues. With tongues and butts. Yes. <laughs> Clapping cheeks. Clap those audiences' cheeks. <laughs> it's really, what I'm hearing, what I think is in, uh, interesting for people that are listening is there is a, a really a distinct mindset, uh, mindset differential kind of thing between what you do in your head in the studio, what you're trying to express is that is very personal to how you bring it to an audience which is how do you totally. maximize the engagement with the audience how do you you know surprise them how do you get them excited how do you build up a moment sustain it surprise them and that's all comes from experience and it kind of makes you look at other artists maybe in the past like is there an artist um that's been around a while that you really appreciate that hits all of those notes really well that you've talked about. Yeah. I mean, like you could see it like basically with any artist that's got a few albums out and has done actual tours that are like kind of bigger. Like you see all of them have that in common, like they've learned because it's kind of like, there's a, like kind of a joke that I have with my friends in Seattle. It's like, Hey, like, you know why I know this restaurant's going to be good because it's in Seattle. If it sucked, it would go out of business in two weeks. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like the fact that I even heard these guys live after their third record means that they were learning their lessons as they went along. Right. And it's like, there's something to be said about that. They all have that same experience. And so like you see nine inch nails, those guys are not slouches, man. Those guys know exactly how to put on a show. You see fucking rage against the machine. You see Madonna or like, you know, any of those artists, like 
look at uh look at like the huge pop artists like skrillex even like fuck like that guy knows how to get a crowd like exploding dude like those guys are just like so aware of what the audience's reaction is going to be and they start writing their music for that feeling after a while it kind of like hits an equilibrium and so i've seen so many big artists in the last few years that are just like they have that same quality where they just like understand what's going to work and they just do it and then they just keep twisting the knife until all of a sudden the audience just loses their shit and that's um you know that's the what i'm hoping to learn like that's pretty awesome that is awesome all right kyle do you have anything for christian while we while we have him while we're graced with his presence to say that you're an excellent producer yeah thank you i appreciate that and i very much appreciate what you bring all right well dude you guys are gonna be very proud of your boy jasper when we release this next track it's um it's stunning it's a good track i'm super excited about it all right basically a cross between celine dion and ninja turtles oh my god okay holy fuck now you're speaking my language my brain is (laughs) i can't even continue right now what those are words that need what if celine dion did a song instead of vanilla ice Go Ninja Go. Yeah. What if Celine Dion did a track for that? Ninja Go. I was actually kind of like uh, Shakira. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Christian, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, Yeah, dude. Thank you so much for having me. That's amazing. Uh, Any last, so let's go over the dates again for your tour. Oh, yeah. So um, February 26th is Seattle. 27th is Portland. Uh, the 29th is Hollywood. The 1st is San Francisco. The 5th is New York. And the 6th is Toronto. You're so impressed that I remember that off the top of my head. Seriously. I know I am. Awesome. Human calendar. Um, and if you guys are in any of those cities, I want to see your asses out there dancing in the crowd. Like, this is uh, going to be a good time. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Well, until next time, this is Eric. And this is Kyle. Awesome. And right. this is User. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. I, 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 I can't see you looking at me right now, but I know you're looking at yeah, me. Yeah, we were looking directly at you, spiritually speaking. Right. Thanks again.